Well, it is the most wonderful time of the year. And now it is done, isn't it? It's over. Great, isn't it? As we move past Christmas, I wonder what is on your mind this morning. What is occupying your thoughts? Uh, Maybe it is relief. You don't have to do it again for another year. Maybe it is regret. You wish it had gone differently. Maybe it is relax. You know, relax. Now you've got a few days to recover. Well, this morning I don't want us to move on too quickly. What I want us to fix our thoughts upon is that manger. Uh, And what that manger means for one of the deepest questions in the human heart. You see, right back in the very beginning, there was this lie, a corrosive lie, uh, that was sown into the soul of Adam and Eve. See, right back in the beginning, the snake came into the garden and whispered this lie. The lie was, God has put you in paradise and he does not want you to enjoy it. God will not let you eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil because God does not love you. That was the lie. God doesn't love you. I wonder if you've ever heard that lie. To be honest, all of us have. All of us believe it. Um, In some way or the other, the Bible tells us we all have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And one of the deepest questions in the human heart is, does God really love me? Well, to help us think about that this morning, we are going to think about the manger and how that passage in Philippians that we read tells for us the story of Christmas. Uh, The story of Christmas we're going to unfold in three chapters from this passage. Here is chapter one, Christmas story according to Philippians 2. The title of the chapter is God. Now, as we tell this story, I want to be really clear from the start um, that I'm going to try and tell the story as best I can from these verses. I'm not going to be able to explain the story to you. Um, Her Royal Highness uh, Queen Elizabeth gave her speech yesterday, um, and in her, her Christmas message, she spoke about the simplicity of the Christmas message, which is wonderful, isn't it? And what happened in the first Christmas is, is beautifully simple. Um, But all I want us to think about this morning about how it is also a deep mystery. And I want us to look at that mystery, and I promise you we will not get to the bottom of it. But we will look at it as it's told for us. Here we go. Here it begins. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. That's where we begin. That Christ is God. Or what's God like? Well, we know what God's like because we sing about him, don't we? Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, which isn't isn't quite true, is it? It's not quite true, is it? Um, I know Phil Gatwood is shaking his head because he went to a series of seminars on it. Lots of things that God can't do. God can't lie. God can't stop being God. God can't change. God can't lose. God can't die. There's lots of things God can't do. Now, when Paul writes, Christ is in the very nature of God, he's writing about the God he knows from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, where we find uh, God says, I am who I am. And the psalmist says about God, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Deuteronomy says, the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. God who made all things. God has no beginning. He has no end. He's the uncontainable and the uncontained. He is wonderful and always God. Most of the most. Never failing to be completely God. That is God, the God of the Bible. And Paul writes in Philippians, Christ is that God. See, when we look in the manger, what we see, 
we see God. We behold our God. That's a staggering thought. We're going to go a bit deeper into that. But before we do, we're going to sing again and sing how we are to behold our God, what our God is like, wonderfully indescribable in many, many ways. Let's stand and sing together. So chapter 1 of the Christmas story, according to Philippians 2, God, chapter 2, God became man. So how the story goes on. A Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That is what we see in the Christmas manger. We see Christ made in human likeness. How? How did that happen? How was it? It says he made himself nothing. Or, Or literally, he emptied himself. The manger is an emptying out. And what does that mean? Uh, Has anybody eaten any chocolates this Christmas? A few people have. I'm not sure. I've eaten many chocolates this Christmas. That needs to be rectified later today, I think. And when you eat chocolate, if you empty a box of chocolates, you take them out, don't you? You you, you, you remove them from the box. Is that what happened at the first Christmas? Did Christ take something off in order to collapse down? It's not what happened, because it's not what's said, is it? He emptied himself. How did he do it? By taking the very nature of a servant. He emptied himself by adding something. It's not a swap. Now, imagine you got given a present that you didn't really like, so you swap with someone else. Um, you change your present for another. That's not what happened. A Christ is in very nature God. Uh, And he takes the very nature of a servant. He's not swapping or changing. He's adding something. You're tracking with me so far. Good. In the manger, we've got Jesus, the baby, an ordinary baby, like every other baby, crying, sleeping, needing to be fed and to be burped, just like all of us once were. Uh, This child Jesus, truly man, In this one person are these two distinct natures. One of these natures is eternal and infinite and immense. It's the almighty God. And the other has a beginning in time and is finite and limited. Our nature, a human nature. How do we explain it? There's nothing else for us to compare this to. And and as we we go forward and we think, how did it work out that, that Christ lived fully as a man? And he grew up and he learned stuff and he grew in knowledge and he was tempted and he struggled with weakness and he, and he suffered. And going through all of that, he did it all whilst being at the same time fully God. It is a mystery. Uh, I want us to spend a moment trying to grapple with how bonkers this is. Because um, when we look at the manger, we could ask, well, how, how far was it that Christ came to get there? Um, I need a couple of volunteers. Anyone want to help me? Thanks, Micah. Brilliant. I knew I could count on you. Great. Right. Uh, what I've got in my bag is... Uh, let me see. It's not chocolates, no. Do you not want chocolates? Do you not like chocolates? You can't have chocolates. Right. It's a pack of playing cards. Yeah? Okay? Let's hold on to that for a second. Let me get you another one. There you go. All right. You, you can get them out if you like. How many, um, how many cards are there in a pack? Do you know? 
No clue. Anybody want to help me out? How many cards in a pack of playing cards? 52 cards. So there are 52 cards in there. And there are two packs. So there's 52 and one, 52 and another. Yeah, have you got that? You can do it on the bench if it helps. Right. It's going to be very tricky what I want you to do. So you've got one pack of cards, yeah? You're going to get another one out. When you've got it out, I want you to arrange those two packs in different orders so they're not the same, they're not the same order, yeah? Right. Not, not together, not together. Don't, don't put them together. You want to keep, keep them separate. So I want you to have one, one order in one pack and one order in a different pack. Yeah? So the, there are 52 cards. They're all listed in the same order because they're fresh out of the box. I want you to put them in a different order. So if it starts, if one starts with a king, I want the other one not to start with a king. Yeah, that's, that's great. That'll do. Yeah, break the cards. That's great. Brilliant. Super, great. Uh, so you can pop those ones down now. So now, Micah, have you got those two card, packs of cards are in different orders? Yep. Yep, you got that? How, how, have you got all the, all the possible orders of cards there? No, do you need another pack of cards? Is that enough? How, how many more do you think you need? I've got another two. Is, is that not enough? Millions. Golly. Yeah, let me see. Uh, that, that's all my cards. Is, is that not enough? Oh. That's a shame, isn't it? Um, does anybody know how many, how, many, how many packs of cards Micah would need to get all the variations? 52 factorial, that's exactly right. You need 52 factorial, which happens to be 8.07 times 10 to the 67. Mike, can you guys sit down? Thanks very much. Um, that's a pretty big number. Um, that is, is that number? Um, if I counted right, please don't count because I've probably got it wrong. That, that's a huge number, isn't it? Um, really, really big. How do you get any sense of how big that number is? Um, bit perplexing, isn't it? Well, what if we had that number of packs of cards and we put them on some scales. There we go. Uh, it would weigh that much. What would we need to put on the other side? Well, what we could put on the other side, if we put, I don't know, something like the whole of the Milky Way, like every kind of planet and star in the Milky Way, every bit of mass in the Milky Way, and we put them on scales, what do you think would happen? The cards would be so much heavier. Apparently, the whole of the Milky Way weighs 3 times 10 to the 42 kilograms. Um, so the difference, I think, please don't check me on this, is if you compared the weight of this laptop to the Earth. So the weight of the laptop would be the Milky Way, and the Earth would be the playing cards. It's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot, isn't it? Uh, how about this? How about if we got our packs of cards, and we, we laid them all out kind of widthways? I'm trying to do this with holding my things. So there you go, like that. And we put them all in a big row. That would be quite a big distance, wouldn't it? Let's see. It would be this long. 5.16 times 10 to the 63 kilometers. That's, that's a long row, isn't it? A long, long row. Um, how big is that? Well, if we got, I don't know, something like oh, the observable universe, um, got that, um, and put that into it, um, that would not be to scale at all. Um, it would not even be visible on here. It would be the same, I think, as comparing an electron um, to the equator. That's a long distance, isn't it? That's long, isn't it? You're enjoying this, Phil. Yeah, I thought you might be. Yeah, good. Um, 
Now, if you think about that length of card stretched out, it's unimaginably long, isn't it? Um, how, far, how big does that compare to how far Christ came? Now, that is nothing, nothing compared to how far Christ came. And when we think about playing cards, we're just comparing something created with created. And we're, we're stretching our imagination within the bounds of creation. But God is not within the bounds of creation. God isn't bound. He's not created. He, belong, he doesn't belong to the created order of existence. The Christ in very nature, God. Now the psalm says, the Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. For God even to look at what happens within the created order, he has to stoop and humble himself. Because that's what God is like. Uh, the eternal son, he's not separated from us by a measurable distance. Now, even if we measured it in light years or in stacks of playing cards, he is separated from us by infinity. Now, the gap he crossed isn't just a really, really big gap. He didn't just come a really, really far away. There's not a measure from divinity to humanity. He crossed something uncrossable. He bridged the gap from creator into created. And that is what we see in the Christmas manger. That's what we see. That the eternal God, with all of his godness, adding to himself, condescending to take a human nature, choosing to come and be limited into our flesh and our blood and our weakness and our frailty. And we need to pause on that. It's indescribable. God is indescribable. And so we're going to sing about that right now. Let's take a moment, let's reflect on how indescribably wonderful our God is. Let's stand and sing together. Please do take your seats. Indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing God. Well, we continue our story. Chapter 2 continued. God became man. A Christ, very nature God, took to himself the nature of a servant. He became man. And when we look into the Christmas manger... Um, we shouldn't be kind of like look, thinking there's just this cute little baby. If we see right when we look into the Christmas manger, we will be aghast, shocked, wondered. Now here is the God-man, the one who came further than we can understand. Uh, but why did he come? Well, listen to the story. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He was not considering what was to his own advantage. There was something else on his mind. He was considering something else. To give you a glimpse again of where we're going and what we've just sung of. What was it that was on his mind? He had you on his mind. Christ's motivation, his desire. What was he considering? We can track it as we follow forward. What was he doing? He was using all that he has to serve others. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And what does it mean? Well, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's why there was a baby born in Bethlehem. It's the reason for Christmas. Now, only in human flesh could the Son of God accept the suffering and the rejection and the ridicule and the agony. 
Only in the flesh could the Son of God die. And that was his service. To serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. See, when we think about the Christmas manger, this is what it is all about. The one who is eternally God, who had to stoop even to look at everything in creation, took to himself a human nature. So that from the first Christmas, he was no less man than he was God. And his purpose, he humbled himself to death, even to crucifixion. You see, you remember the lie. The the lie sown in the human heart right from the beginning. The lie that God doesn't love you. The deepest question, one of the deepest questions in the human heart that we wrestle with, whether we are believers or not, is does God really love me? Well, bring that question to Bethlehem's manger. Now look deeply into Bethlehem's manger and ask, what do we see right there? Grapple with the the mystery of the manger. Grapple with the infinite gap cross. No, the infinite depth into which the Son of God descended. As he put aside his riches and his glory. As he took up our poverty and our agony. Grapple with it. We sang it yesterday morning. Lo, within the manger lies he who made the starry skies. We should pause after singing lines like that, shouldn't we? Another carol, we don't sing it very often, but maybe we ought to. says, God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. Let's stretch our minds, stretch our minds. Even if our minds go to breaking point, let's get beyond the end of our understanding. Wrestle with what we find in the manger, because as we wrestle with what we find in the manger, we will find ourselves enveloped in the highest evidence of God's care for people. See, it's in the manger we see that God really, really loves us. Now, when we look at the manger, we can ask, where, if this is where the desire of Christ has gone, as he didn't consider his own advantage, but considered what others needed, that this is where his consideration led him. If this is where the desire of Christ went, then what would he not do for us? The one who emptied himself, who became veiled in flesh, who humbled himself, who stooped down so low from so high. He needed nothing. He didn't come because he lacked something. He didn't come because he was unhappy. He didn't need to do any of this. He was only ever happy and full forever and most and always. And from there he came. And he came to give his life as a ransom. He came to pay a price that only he could pay. And to rescue us from our sin and our sorrow. See, Christ came so far because God really, really loves us. Now, what would he not do for us? If Christ would come so far, if he would go so deep, if he would give so much, if Christ would do all of that, will he not give us everything that we need? Will he not give us every comfort in our trouble? Will he not give us every protection in our adversity? That God really loves us. How do you know? Well, look into Bethlehem's manger. Look there. Now, look there when we're, when we're burdened. Now, maybe when we're burdened with sin or, or, or the weight of temptation or, or when we're burdened with worries, worries of life. Maybe relationships are strained. Maybe we're overwhelmed with just keeping one foot going in front of the other. Maybe we just feel like nobody really notices or cares. Look at the manger. 
and cut through all the tinsel and the baubles and look at the manger and see that Christ has come and he has come for you. No, look at him there for you. He came all this way. He crossed so far. He confounded infinity to come for you. He emptied himself for you. He became a servant for you. He came to obey even to death. All for you. Why? Because God really loves you. Really, really loves you. Well, how should we respond to this Christmas story in Philippians chapter 2? We come to our third and final chapter. One more chapter, chapter 3. Come, let us adore him. Christ has come, taken our nature, died in that nature. And then the story continues like this wonderfully. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the end of the story. That's where it's all going to go to. In the end, this is how the story is going to finish, where every knee, every knee is bowing. Every tongue is shouting out, shouting out in adoration, in adoration to the one who became a servant, in adoration to the one who humbled himself who humbled himself even to death and adoring the one who is raised and exalted. That's where the story goes. That's the right response to this great love of God in the Lord Jesus. At the first Christmas in Bethlehem, the angels adored him. The shepherds adored him. Later on, the wise men came and they worshipped him. And if we see right as we look into the manger, well, we will follow, follow that same story to the end. We will adore him. It's the final chapter of the Christmas story. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty, God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it's before this that everyone should bow in worship and humbly adore what they cannot comprehend. It's here we see that God really loves us and that that love will delight our souls forever and ever and ever. Our God in heaven, we pray that that would be the case for us. And we pray that we would see the wonder of your salvation plan, that we would grapple with the extent of it and go beyond our understanding until we are lost in the great sea of your love, that we would know that your love is sure and strong and true, that is rooted in history, rooted in Christ, rooted in Bethlehem, rooted in the horrors of Calvary, rooted in the darkness that came over the earth, rooted in that empty grave, rooted in the Lord Jesus who now is risen at your right hand, right there now interceding for us constantly. We are always on his mind before you. And may our adoration for him increase and increase in the years to come and into all eternity, we pray. And even this day, Lord, whatever this day holds for us, may we adore him. Adore him above everything else. Amen.